This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Coach Jen in Ocala, Florida. And I am Emily Thompson from Wellington, Florida. And you are listening to a special jumping edition of Horses in the Morning on Horse Radio Network for December 5th, episode 1827, Ooh. brought to you today by S Equestrian. Good morning, Horse World. Oh my God. Yeah. It's Tuesday. It's top class show jumping uh, at the very best. Every horse is different, and you've got to be able to understand and read each different horse. Remember, we're looking for those clears in this round to go forward to the jump off. You can't ask for anything more. It's just pure theatre. Welcome back, Emily. I haven't done the show with you for a while. I know. I was thinking that too. We had so much fun the last time. We were joking about no more boys. We're going to do it. It was me. I think we might have had Jamie on one of the other times too. It was just so fun. Girl time. Girl time. There we go. So what have you been up to since last we, as in Horse Radio Network, spoke? Well, I have been busy. I've been riding, which I'm so grateful to be. Uh, I had that bad head injury this summer. Um, at the beginning of my summer, I just could never quite get out of the starting gates and it was a long recovery, um, really long, uh, and hard, you know, just, I, I didn't really know all that much about it at the time. Uh, now I, now I do, but anyways, I'm feeling great. I'm back riding. I've hit my high mark since my injury. I'm up to nine, which is like, I'm so excited about, and I feel good. As in um, nine today's my is a day. Iron horses, and I've got five more on my list. Dang. Uh, I know, but it's like, and they're good horses. They're for sale, you know, and at most of the places that I ride, I ride for a few different dealers, and I have grooms, uh, so I'm able to kind of pop in, just get on the horse. Sometimes I even have exercise riders, <clears throat> excuse me, so they can be warmed up, and I'll just hop on and jump or show in a trial. And then, of course, on my personal horses, I'm, like, cleaning the stall and watering them three times a day <laughs> and, you know, all of that. So I'm not really a princess. But, you're at both ends um, of the spectrum, aren't you? You're, uh, yeah, you've got the one where you're the chief cook and bottle washer yes. for your own horses. Then the opposite end of the spectrum, you show up and run the stirrups, you just slide the stirrups down and climb on. Legit. Like, they just, and, like, half the time, yeah, the saddles are not even mine, and they bring out and... That's the only way you can do it, though, at that volume. And and that's what I really, that's my passion. I love riding, and I like riding challenging horses, young, experienced, whatever. Um, so I, I have a little bit of everything. I have a very cool horse right now. Um, it's actually my profile picture right now, brown brown horse um, with a wicked hind end, jumps amazing. I started him last year um, just in, like, the meter 15s, getting to know him, uh, and he's been super. We're going to go into our first meter 40 class this week. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's going to be. Uh, is this one of your personal horses or is this a client horse? He's not. He's owned by Bertrand, who is the French uh, owner. He's a horse dealer that I ride for. He's got six or seven in the U.S. now and like five or six over in Europe still. So don't, um, don't let him up. be too good. Somebody will buy him. 
I know that's I he's he is so good like it's it there's no hope like McLean <laughs> is gonna buy him or something like I that was the thing is like last year he's super special like I posted a lot of the videos and you can see the photos he's unreal I don't put back boots or anything on he looks like he's doing a handstand all the time um but he just I had I had competed him up to like meter 25 maybe tried a little meter 30 here and there with one down two down sometimes but he just wasn't quite there because those big big riders I mean they, they, they don't know how long it's going to take them to get to the big night class from there. If you have right. something jumping around meter 40, they're like, okay, look at my watch. Like, you know, yeah. we get there. Um, so I'm that, that's where we are. I'm kind of like getting probably realistically to the end of what I will be doing with the horse, because once we get those good meter 40 starts, then one of those big guys is going to come in. He's, he, he's top, top. He's like HH Azur. He, he's unbelievable. Um, going to come so, snap him up. Oh yeah, for sure. He, he, there's, there's no, no doubt about that, but that's fun too, because then you can watch and wow, wow. You know, I jumped that horse's first classes and, and it's cool. So, and I love that part of it too. You can't keep them all. So it, he's it one is, to watch. It is fun watching your kids graduate, yeah. so to speak. Yes. Totally. And yeah. I feel like I have so many of them at this stage and you can't keep them all. No. Um, <laughs> but it's no, although we, I don't know. I don't know. I felt a little hesitation in your answer there it's possible I feel the same way maybe we can keep them all like the crazy cat lady the crazy cat lady there you go that's how I am with horses I'm always like I have too many horses but what am I doing I'm doubling them with breeding brilliant idea there you go well speaking of your horses um I hear there's a high heels update so give everybody the background on who high heels is High heels. She's my girl. She has won so much for me. She's the gray mare I have as my profile picture regularly. I rotate her around, just jump some of the biggest classes I've ever jumped on her. I think, gosh, I think I got her when she was maybe 12 or so. Um, and now she's older. She's 16, uh, turning 17. Yeah, that's right. Um, and she's just, she is a, she is a unbelievable, unbelievable mare, top, top papers. And the personality, she's nuts. She's like a Hollywood horse. She's talking all the time and so engaging. And she looks like a stallion with a beautiful face and the neck. And she's just, she's the whole package. She's everything. And she is seasoned. She competed in big classes as a young horse in Europe. And she's proven it time and time again. She's one of those, like, you don't even, I, you, you forget about losing. Like you're kind of like, (laughs) like how fast can I go? And let me kind of like personal best and all this, but she's a winner and she knows the game, super special mayor. And so she, I did her in her last Grand Prix, I guess maybe three or four years ago. And, um, she was, you know, she was getting a little older and you could tell it was getting hard for her. So I said, okay, she's so special. We're going to pull her out of jumping and retire her to the breeding shed. Let's get some babies on the ground. Very excited. And we tried and tried and tried, no babies, not getting pregnant, just, uh, you know, didn't, wasn't sure what, what to do from there because we really tried, just exhausted ourselves, um, within reason, of course. Uh, and it just didn't work. So I said, okay, well, maybe she's got other plans. Maybe she wants to come out of retirement and get back working a little bit. So I kind of dusted her off last year and pulled her back out. She did some up to meter 30 classes. I let a younger professional that was in development that I helped ride and show her, which is such a great well, opportunity. That's exciting. It was cool. Yeah. Cause she'd never ridden something like that, you know, to get an older horse like that, that knows the job. And she just went in like a lion in there and attacked the jumps. And she really taught her a lot. It was cool. It was fun to watch. Um, and then after WEF was over, I thought, okay, you know, let's try again and, and, and nothing. But, uh, we have, uh, yesterday I got my confirmation. Now she is healthily and successfully six months prego. 
We're going to have a little high heels. Um, she, her babies, like she's going to be a super, super mare, like brood mare like that. She's going to so throw the type. She's so dominant in all of her traits mm-hmm. and the papers are great. It just, uh, we're, I couldn't be more excited. She's like my girl, you know, I'm like, I can't believe I'm, you know, cause she's getting older, you know, how many, how many can she really have? And right. Right. I'm not, uh, financially at a place that I can do all of the flushing and get the host yeah, mare, get the host you know mares, what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, she's, you know, we're doing a, you know, natural, she's going to carry hers, but she is, she, she is carrying it and it, it does look like it's going to be big. <laughs> she is. And it's interesting that, um, and I, I seem to have a soft spot for high heels and all I've ever seen of her are your pictures and your videos, no. but she's, she just seems like she's one of those mares that she needed to find you. Yeah. She really did it. She, we, 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 we were a match and I, I didn't end up, I didn't buy her. I ended up with her through a um, sort of horse deal um, in whenever it was ages ago, years and years ago. And we just started our partnership like right away. And we were able to, I went, I think I went in the ring in like a meter 40 class that first week. It was such a partnership, but she herself is like a celebrity at the horse shows. I mean, people recognize her everywhere we go. Uh, she's um, been there. Yeah. She's bending her there and she's a crowd pleaser. She comes in and she throws her head around and she's like all about the theatrics and she behaves like she's totally nutso and unrideable and throwing, you know, foam everywhere and not picking up the lead that you want. And you're just kind of like, is this girl going to be able to get to the first jump? Like this doesn't look like it's happening. And then she's like, ah, you know, charges off to the first jump and then she's off to the races, but people love her and people ask her about, about her all the time. She's one of those horses like, without her riders, you know, like she herself is just such a cool, cool show jumping horse and people have a great deal of respect for her. So it's, it'll, it'll be very, very fulfilling to get some babies on the ground by her finally out of her. Yeah. We'll keep our fingers crossed for a little baby in six months. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. Well, we've got a jam packed show coming up here. Um, We're going to chat with Megan McDermott of of X media. And what is she going to tell us about? She is going to tell us about her background a little bit and how she got started. She is a show jumping girl and her her media company, which is so cool. Her angle with this and her mission with these uh, interviews and videos. Definitely want to check that out. She's a millennial making a difference. And then, yeah. And then Maddie is going to stop by and she's going to be talking a little bit about the proposed Yousef. Actually, I think it's more accurately United States. What is it? U.S. Equestrian proposed rule change about helmets causing lots of controversy and raised eyebrows. And then to wrap things up before we get to our Q and a session, John, the other half of S equestrian is going to stop by and he's got a special offer along with the S equestrian (laughs) update. So stay tuned for all of it. And uh, why don't we go ahead and get started with Megan. We have our first guest is Megan McDermott, who is a successful amateur rider out on the A Show circuit and also the founder of X Media. Welcome to the show, Megan. Hi, happy to be here. So glad it worked out. Uh, don't have yes. you in Florida yet, but you're going to be on your way soon, I hear. Yes, we leave in like four days and it is not soon enough. It's freezing up north. Oh my gosh. Where are you based out of? So we are based out of South Salem in the winter, in the summer, and then in Wellington, Florida, in the winter. Okay, that's beautiful up there. That's 
just really nice horse, the farms, it's, I want to call it horse country. I know it's like other people go there for other yeah. reasons, but, but the exactly. horse, but those are, the those other country. reasons don't count, Emily. I can't think of any, <laughs> to be honest, apple picking, pumpkin picking or something, you know, I mean, people enjoy those activities. I know in the fall, uh, it's just so beautiful up there. The, the horse, all of the horse community, it's pretty big up there, actually quite a few farms. Mm-hmm. That's great. Now, what do you do exactly, Megan, with your horses? You do mainly jumpers or do you also hunters or what's your background? Yes, I'm only jumpers. My background was a very unsuccessful pony hunter career. Um, (laughs) Mine too. Which then became like exactly like maybe six months in equitation. And then it was like this also less successful to get a jumper. I mean, you're kind of lucky. I mean, yes. just kind of skip over all of the carnage from the hunters and the exactly. equitation. Exactly. <laughs> right on to like the less fun emotionally stuff. taxing. Seriously, though. Yeah. Did you start riding so young? Have, I started riding when I, I was like taking, you know, pony camp and like twice a month lessons when I was, I believe, eight. And then I think we got my sister and I both started at the same time. She's one year older than me. And then we got our first pony when I was 10 and we shared him. And we would do the pony hunters, but since she was a year older and she was much better than me, she would do the over fences and I would just do the jog and the hack. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Preparing um, for your then, next career as an older owner. I think that's the, exactly. isn't that sort of the program? <laughs> I hear people shopping exactly. for those pieces sometimes, the professional jumps mm-hmm. and you go and win the hack. I mean, it's, I mean, it's low stress. Exactly. So I was a very like, you know, didn't know it at the time, but it was just being an old successful owner um, at Her the practice. age of 10. Yes, you were just enjoying life really at that stage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, don't worry about the distances, the lines, who needs all that stress. That's great. <laughs> exactly. So then you moved on, you went to a little, little bit of Eck, little bit of, little bit of hunters. Moved on a little bit of Eck, just off, you know, just off the pony onto an equitation horse. And then as soon as I figured out how to ride a horse, we swiftly transitioned to the jumpers because it was uh, basically more affordable. And yeah. then um, I was actually good at that, which I was at Hunter's Reputation. That's great. That, yeah. I mean, agreed. I mean, and, and even if you were good at it, like, I mean, the, the, it's just move on. I mean, it's so much, it's so fun. It's the jumpers. I mean, to, to be able to have that, the build up, the, the background, everything. I just love it. I mean, against the clock, come on, you can't go wrong. Exactly. Exactly. And how long have you been doing jumpers? So you switched as a junior and then carried on into your amateur Mm -hmm. years? Exactly. So I guess I was probably 15 then. And now I'm 22. So that's seven years, I think. Wow. Okay. You're young to have your own business. I mean, you're out there. I thought you were a bit older. That's great. I think I'm a bit older too. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Well, you sound a bit older. People think I feel I'm like I'm 85. <laughs> well, and you've already done your, your hat classes with other people doing your over yeah. so you're, you're ahead of the Paul game on your exactly. there, practicing. Exactly. That's awesome. Doing life so, out of order. Yeah. Well, you know, you got a sort of a rehearsal, I guess. That That's really cool though. That's interesting that you kind of being in a very hunter minded community for sure up there in that, Salem area there's lots of hunters Mm -hmm. top top hunters in the country and really gravitating towards the jumpers and then you just continued on it sounds like you do you show quite a bit or what's your kind of show schedule what does your year look like yeah we show um 
a little bit less than as a junior um, because I'm managing also now work and riding, but I try to base myself, well, I do base myself out of Florida in the winter. So that's like, you know, Wellington is full force showing. Yeah. And then in the summer, we try to kind of break the summer up into two. Um, we've normally, we've been staying in the Northeast um, with, you know, everyone. So I'll go down to Tryon um, or Kentucky, but we kind of try to break the summer up into two different, like, you know, beginning of the summer, break in the middle, and then, you know, end of summer, early fall, all in the Northeast. Yeah, it's a, it ends up, that's smart, because it ends up being just so much <laughs> down here, which is exactly. fun and exciting and all that. But yeah, we do, I this is my second year, I guess, staying down here with the sales horses for the summer. Um, and mm. I kind of do the same thing, but the horse show continues every week. But even though it does, you're like, all right, I need to kind of pump the brakes here. Like, take a little break. Exactly. <laughs> pull the horses out, exactly. trail rides, stuff like that. It's, yeah, it's hard. These days, there's so many shows, and they're everywhere, and they're all you know, there's, there's so many good shows that you can just keep showing the whole year without ever resting. And that's fun, but it's a less, you know, sustainable. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Gosh. Yeah. No, for sure. You get burnout. Well, tell me about your horses or horse. You have one or two or what, what's your horse sport looking like these days? I have two that are mine. I'm taking care of four. One of them is my sister's and one of them is a sail horse. And then one of them is, I've had him for about a year. His name is Tizzyman and he's the best horse ever um and he's been my first like real grand prix horse and um he you know when i got it i was a little bit going through like a rough patch and feeling a little bit nervous and like you know for the first time having like showing anxiety and he's just one of those horses that's a fun every single day like he's playful you can ride him without a bridle you can do whatever so he really gave me like a lot of confidence at home and then that's carried into the ring um and so he's been, you know, over the past year, we've moved up from the medium amateurs to we jumped, um, they were jumping like open 140, 145 passes. Wow. Good now. for so you. That's, that's been, awesome. That's a big move Yeah, uh, for a new yeah. horse inside that time period. That's, it sounds like a real exactly. match. Yeah, no, he like, it's one of those, like it just clicked. And, mm. That's so great. Yeah. That's such a good feeling. And it's it just is. when it's when you really click special. like that, yeah. They, they what do they say that the horse and the rider? It's kind of like a co-being. Kind of you become yeah, like together. Leslie Burr wrote something so like the she responded to Katie Prudence article that everyone responded to, and she said that like the horse and rider should be a centaur. Yeah, <laughs> which I now think about all the time. Essentially, yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, it's so true though. I mean, it, it really when you find that one that your pieces go together, it's just it is it's something something different. You can overcome those ring nerves and whatever it is you're struggling with. Uh, and you exactly. just, you do, you can, and it's different on, on another horse, but on that, on that horse that you have that connection with, you're able to just jump right through all your fears. That's awesome. So he's, what are your plans mm -hmm. for him? Are you going to kind of got your, your eyes set on certain Grand Prix or just kind of playing this year and getting comfortable? Yeah, this, so for the summer we jumped like some smaller national Grand Prix. And um, so we're hoping to in Florida this year, really, you know, be in the 25 division uh, consistently and like maybe try to jump, you know, a two star here and there Grand Prix. Um, and then I'm not exactly sure for the summer yet. We'll see how Florida goes. <laughs> That's so cool. That's exciting. Well, good luck. We'll have to yeah. keep tabs on your, on your show endeavors here. I have to do a side note. Megan Aww. also wears the Esquestrian shirts, which are looking very yes. stylish on you. I have your the photo. best shirts. <laughs> uh, thank you. I'm glad you like them. I, it's it's no, so they're fun. actually amazing. 
they, they're hard wearing. <laughs> yeah. you can wash and go. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. They really last. Well, no. I'm glad to hear that you, you like them. It's fun because I end up kind of meeting other people through, they end up with the clothes, clothes and meet John or <laughs> however they end up coming exactly. through. Uh, so that's fun. So now I have another person to watch in the big classes, this Florida. <laughs> I'm excited. So we'll keep an eye on your new horse there. Um, so tell Aww. us, okay, getting to your, your company, which is so interesting. How did you get started? This is a media company. How did you get started? What is sort of your mm-hmm. about us? Fill us in. <laughs> all right. So, uh, all the background is that I studied, uh, film in college and I went to the Savannah college of art and design. Oh, that's right. And to graduate shirt makers, scats are favorite. Yeah, exactly. Scat has a big equestrian team. Yeah. Um, I studied film and I needed to have like four internships to graduate. Um, and one of my internships was actually in Atlanta. Um, and I was working for a guy with a small production company that was basically him and he would hire people freelance. So I was one of his freelance people that helped him and there one of their clients was Spanx. Um, and so like Sarah Blakely, who started Spanx, this is a very long, very lot of background, but it's no, it's good. We want to hear um, over here. <laughs> super. Okay. Um, and so we were working on, um, filming like something to become, a like a long open-ended piece for Sarah Blakely. So I was constantly like filming her, telling her story about how she started her company and how she was like, just kind of, you know, a girl from Clearwater, Florida, and had, you know, wanted to become a stand-up comedian and failed at that, and then had this idea to start Spanx and just kind of did it, and it was amazing. Oh, so I yeah. was constantly getting all this, like, entrepreneurial inspiration of, like, oh, my God, start your own company. And then I'm working for this guy who is doing, like, a one-person company that I feel like, oh, like, oh, my God, it's just a one, like, I could do that. <laughs> I'm one like, person. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, the work I was doing for him inspired me to stop working for him and just start my own company. Um, Which is cool so though. When, I mean, yeah. if that's, your, that's your passion and you can narrow it down into sort of what your angle is and what you, what your expertise is, you know, which you're bringing the mm-hmm. horses to the table. Exactly. And so I started then when I was still in school, I founded my, my main company is called Durando Productions, And that's what I started. I was doing freelance work um, that I was getting, at school through my company. And then when I graduated, I tried to focus, I was like, okay, I want to start, you know, horse things because I was now back to my normal, you know, life in South Salem and Wellington. So that's what's around me. And it's the people that I, you know, that's the kind of content that I want to produce. So then we started the X media platform. Um, it's like basically where it's where we collect and display my, you know, horse related content, which is interviews, um, interview-based videos featuring top riders or lesser-known, you know, up-and-coming riders talking about their life and their approach to the sport and their, you know, philosophy. Um, and our goal is because there's a lot of a lot of the content, media content around the sport of show jumping is, like, very focused on the lifestyle and, like, the, you know, money and people, you know, fancy cars, clothes and everything – and as, you know, a kid and a junior and even like a young amateur, I will always feel very like intimidated by like, oh my God, everybody is like, you know, super stylish and super cool and has so much money. And like, how don't, how do you compete with that? Like as someone who, you know, doesn't quite have all the access and all the means. 
And um, so I started wanting, like I, my idea was originally to try to like break down some of these top riders as human beings and like, who are they, you know, day to day and what are they, what are their fears and what are their goals and how do they see themselves? So when I do interviews, I try to focus on, you know, people like as humans and what their actual stories are and not just, you know, kind of how they'd want to be perceived trendy or stylish. That's really great. That's that really, I mean, because they're just, I mean, you know, because you're in the the business and the industry like this, you just see it. It, it is, it's a lot of, you know, glam and glitz and all this, but like we, and, and that's almost the problem because then everybody wants to gravitate towards that the, and all the younger riders, but it needs to be more really, it needs to be in vogue, you know, the horsemanship, the, the story behind it, the, yeah, you know, you can still, have that miracle horse that was in your barn and you bought or like snowman or you know one of these stories you know it's like that exactly real it's not just ferraris and bentleys and 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 for me it's none of those ferraris and bentleys like there's many of us that that, that's exactly it's not a thing but the horse horsemanship is real and that's important exactly stories mm -hmm. and my idea actually before i even had started my company um for like a different school project, I had to shoot like a promo for a documentary series that was made up. And so I was, of course, like, oh, documentary series about show jumping. And I interviewed Georgina for it. And before I interviewed her, I like looked up stuff about her, said I would, you know, know what to talk about. And there's like, you know, lots of, I don't want to like name names, but media companies out there who have like done videos for her that just look so like opulent and like, you know, the name and the money and like what you would expect, really. like such a charmed life. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, like I'm intimidated and yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was like, okay, this is going to be terrifying. And like, I don't know how to like else to, you know, kind of go for. And when I talked to her, she was such a real person and like super humble and super like, you know, extremely nice to me and had so like such an inspiration. Like she had so many, you know, she's been through a lot and a lot of things were, you know, that you wouldn't think were really hard for her. So then I was like, wait a second, like, is everybody like this? Like <laughs> they're real people. Do people have real stories. Exactly. <laughs> they so didn't so just arrive. Good. Exactly. So that's cool. That's, that's awesome. my goal. If that's, I can make that's really the, yeah. a beautiful uh, sort of mission in a way. And it does, it more people need to be be like that but it opens people's eyes and and for the younger kids too to see like these are real people with struggles and and they they worked hard to get where they are it wasn't they didn't really exactly. just arrive exactly and all we can post on i mean because if you say so you're doing this as your you know career you're not going to post your failures and insecurities online because that's not good for business but at the same time if there's a way for you know people to see like Oh, even, you know, like there were hard times and even when, you know, high highs, low lows, that's part of the sport too. And, you know, and if any of our content can inspire anyone to be, you know, just stick it out or, you know, keep trying and just not get discouraged, that would be, you know, my biggest goal. That's so great. That's really, that's very refreshing. And I haven't, I'm on your, uh, Facebook. Do you have a, uh, well, I'm on your website as well, which you all can check out. Uh Uh-huh eqxmedia.com how do people find your interviews little videos where are they located um on well we post everything on the website and on facebook and on youtube and then we instagram uh as well but just links like we instagram 
Okay, okay Instagram so- like uh, snippets and then post a link in the bio. <laughs> and so it's the ho- horse. I love that. That <laughs> this is very very cool. I want to watch them now. I'm excited to see more. <clears throat> and you Good you day. have a role inside, uh, sort of you know, comfort with a lot of these different riders, but even that, you know, you're at the ring and, and you, you still do see, obviously, like you're saying the high highs, um, mm-hmm. a lot of the low lows are a bit behind the scenes or they're on the path too. And, and they, they're not always publicized and, and they really should be, it should be, you know, there's gotta be a lot of encouragement, and a lot of realness for so, so that this younger generation understands, like you really don't just arrive in a Bentley. Like you may never see about me. Like you may be cleaning stalls like me forever. <laughs> like you just, but but it's okay. Like that's what it takes. You know, you have to you have to be able to put in the time and understand that it's a complete picture. And it's really about the horsemanship, exactly. and it is the struggle. Mm-hmm. And the the thing that I, everybody has said to me that I've interviewed is like, firstly, like they're all insecure, and they all. Um, you know, say that they lose more than you win and that that's part of the sport and that nobody tells you that. And you have to figure that out. And that's like, you, you know, once you figure that out, it becomes a bit easier to accept, but you that's know, everybody's doing this is competitive and is, you know, wants it badly. And what about Kent Farrington? Is the math working out for him that way? <laughs> <laughs> he may be the exception to the rule. Old world. Number one. Every time I see a publication, I'm like, there he goes again. He just won't quit exactly. on all different horses. I mean, he's worked really hard to over the years. No, he has. And you know, and exactly. <laughs> you know, but probably his, his big picture, maybe that evens out um, the short term recently. For sure not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's, he's on a roll. It's, it's fun to watch. But I'm happy to put out like a, a PSA. If Ken Farrington wants to get interviewed, I'm available to do it. <laughs> there you go. We want the whole story. We want to know about this, the, the struggles the working yeah, towards exactly. the EQXmedia.com. Okay, cool. Well, you guys can check it out and then on Facebook as well. And we will stay Which in is touch also with also Facebook.com slash EQXmedia. EQXmedia. Okay, cool. So you guys check it out because that's really interesting and refreshing to get a little bit of a different viewpoint, making it really allowing you to get in touch with the real people, which they are, and their real stories. And we will keep up with you, Megan, for the Florida circuit. Yay! With your big horse there. It's exciting. Super. Yeah. Safe drive. Thank you so much for checking in with us. We'll talk to you soon. That was a fascinating discussion. I'm glad we got to meet her. So it's that time of the show where we get to have a little song break. So I thought we'd do a little Templeton Thompson when I get that pony road. And this is in honor of all the questions that folks ask that we're going to do later in the show. (laughs) So enjoy. Guessing wasn't such a perfect landing Yeah, I'm still alive, not sure how I survived It was a hell of a ride till it ended I guess that's what you get when you leave You don't always end up on your feet Oh, there's easier ways I could go Deep down. 
We have our next guest is Maddie O'Rourke, is a super riding all-around horse girl with a successful shipping business here in Wellington. She has also competed successfully in many different sports. Welcome to the show, Maddie. How are you doing, Emily? Great to be here. Thank you. We're good. We're good. I'm so glad you were able to call in. We've actually been chatting about this for a little while, I think, once uh, our helmet situation. Well, for me, it's sensitive because I had the head injury, you know, so I know we were texting a bit about that, but you have sort of an up close and personal, uh, experience here with this USCF rule change that seems to be in the works. Give us a little background I on do. that. Well, I've competed in seven different sports, um, nationally, either in national championships or ranked and uh, I've worn helmets in so many different sports that I've played and also in jobs that I've had. So most of my life, I've taught car racing and also raced motorcycles. So lots of helmets there. Um, and also, I was in the Army. So we wear lots of helmets in the Army, plus, you know, cycling, sailing, um, lots of extreme sports. I forgot about the Army. This girl can do it all. And she rides great, too. And dressage, too. She's been doing jumpers and a cowgirl, because I've seen her horse buck like crazy, and she, she sticks <laughs> on. So rodeo, I guess we can put that on the resume. <laughs> there we go. But you've done so and much. So you really do have all of that experience and knowledge. Uh, I, I do. Mean, and that's, that's kind of 
what really had me going was that in all the other sports, all the other disciplines, there is not a single sport or profession out there where you wear a helmet, where you're allowed to wear your hair up in your helmet. Mm. So you don't see Danica Patrick winding her hair up on top of her head before she puts her helmet on. You know, if you see somebody in the army, women always have that low bun under their helmet. Um, You know, with cyclists, the hair is also loose and down. And it just seems to me a, a little bit too traditional that people still put their hair up in their helmet because it acts, it will, it, it keeps the helmet from doing what it's meant to do. That makes so much sense, but so complicated for our hunter crowd <laughs> to, to, <laughs> yes. to even swallow or even everybody's looking the other way right now. They don't want to even have the conversation. I can feel it. Right, right. And and that's kind of I'm, I'm um, feeling a little twitchy you know, myself. Problem. A little twitchy. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is very care this is very delicate ground we're walking on here. Continue. <laughs> and it's it's leading from the front. And you know, that's something that we say in the army, but um, you know, it took somebody like um Laura Graves, um, you know, or Charlotte Desjardins to to wear a helmet in competition for other people to go okay, well, you know, if they do it, you know, then it's not so bad. It's possible. And, you know, the same thing, like I remember when I was a kid, when I first got to ride, I was doing short stirrup and we were in some indoor arena somewhere. And this is pre harness rule. And um, somebody put one of those tiny little, you know, cross rail oxers up to like a regular oxer. And this, I was on a pony that had won Devon. So he jumps it and cracks his back and he's like, oh, I remember how to do this. This is fun. So my helmet came off and rolled down the line next to me and the pony. Yeah. (laughs) So bad. And then shortly thereafter, they instituted the harness rule. And, you know, remember back, I don't know if you're old enough, but back then, it was mandatory for juniors and amateurs and then professionals had a little bit of a grace period um, until finally, okay, everybody's got to wear a harness. Well, now that we got everybody wearing a harness thing on your head with a harness. Right. Right. If we can actually get people to fasten it correctly. So Mm -hmm. the helmet doesn't come off. So it's not hanging four inches below their chin. Oh yeah, that's one of the the pieces to the rule change, um, but also just you know correctly fitting. So you know as the rule is written, they can um, just like you do a boot check or a blood check or a whip check um, or a jog for soundness at any of those type of checks. Now they'll be able to check the helmet. Wow. And obviously for safety, the ASTM is the U.S. I think it's different, right? Exactly. For, for Europe. Exactly. So that's kind of the first <laughs> step is getting is getting us to the point where, okay, it's part of our regulations that we're allowed to check. And it's also written in there that if you have a podium finish and your helmet's not up to par, um, you forfeit. Wow. And so you're, you're out of the standing. And that'll kind of really get people you know, at least trying to, same thing with boots, right? You don't want to go win a Grand Prix and then get yanked because 
you know, you, you got the wrong kind of boots on. Mm-hmm. For sure. For I sure. And, but it's like so, so important. Now, I mean, it's your head. Like my last junior year was the year that they, I got in right under the wire. My last junior year, we were all allowed to show it indoors at finals with our, you know, non-safety helmets. And I remember like, I mean, people were like distraught over it about the idea of having to put on one of these mushroom helmets. And now in <laughs> retrospect, I'm just like, what is that, that we're even having this conversation? Like you've played all of these other sports successfully, excuse me. And in the army, like, is that even a conversation? People are like, let's protect our heads, right? Like get me the best helmet available. Yeah. And it's, it, that's, that's not even a conversation. It's it, yeah. getting it to, you know, fit right. You know, and then all these other sports, there are, um, there are provisions for if you are, right, for example, when I raced super bikes, which is absolutely insane. That's the kind where you're dragging your knee on the pavement back and forth. <laughs> that's your style. Um, I think <laughs> that's, that's and, um, I had, I had a really, really bad wreck. So I uh, was at Bridgehampton. There's a racetrack out there, believe it or not, um, just outside of Hamptons. And I had a crash and a 30-minute walking blackout, but I had seven different impact points on my helmet. And they're easily visible on a motorcycle helmet because they're primarily some kind of carbon fiber or fiberglass. And when you scrape it against the pavement, it, it shows up. But in our sport, since we're on soft surfaces, you don't ever really see, you know, if there's any kind of impact unless there's a, a dent. Mm. But usually the, the hard plastic shell on the outside pops back into shape and you can't see underneath that the helmet's been compromised, that it's been squished. Mm. And so the rule as it's written now um, is if you have a, a fall in a competition where you have a concussion, we know we have that concussion protocol now for the juniors that your helmet will be confiscated. Wow. So if you have a concussion, if you have a blackout in the ring, uh, then they need to take the helmet and they can take the helmet um, in order to study the helmet, but also to ensure that that helmet isn't then worn in another competition or at home. And then the person has a fall and dies because mm. the helmet is is completely useless or even worse. Cause we have all of these um, consignment shops or eBay or people resell old helmets all the time. And you don't know if the helmet has ever had a fall because you really don't see it with, with our type of helmet. And so trying to get these compromised helmets out of circulation will be helpful because it's not allowed in any other sport. You have a big crash, your helmet does not, you know, go with you through tech inspection. You don't get the sticker that says your helmet's good to go. Yeah. And you have duh. to buy them. And they're a lot more expensive, you know, $1,000 a piece minimum for a car or a motorcycle helmet. Wow. So is it? Yeah. So, so the, the proposal that we're talking about here, that, it, that would be for competitions under U.S. equestrian rules, not FEI. Am I right? Under correct, oh, yeah. it would be nice to to trickle up to that point at some time. <laughs> baby steps, baby steps. <laughs> baby <laughs> this, steps. This is a lot to first, ask for even Yusef here. So this is, this is much more encompassing than any other 
helmet-related rule change that I've seen proposed in that it addresses many, many different facets of helmets and their function and the the uh, role that personal responsibility should take in the competitive community. So a lot of this is going to take that responsibility away from the individual competitor in because right. some competitors because are not responsible. Do you know, well, that's because that, that go, Oh, I don't want to buy the new helmet. Everybody all the time. <laughs> all all of them. And, 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 and it's the person who said, who's got the $30,000 budget for West, but they don't want to spend $500 on a new helmet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, the parents that don't want to buy their kid another helmet because their, their kid chose the, you know, $700 custom with all the Strosky crystals and like all the bling. <laughs> well, <laughs> your head's really important. I can tell you going through this head injury this summer and mine, mine actually did break my helmet. Um, <clears throat> so I could not, could not continue with that one. Although I've been guilty too, you know, having, a fall and you think, okay, it's not that bad. And I just got this helmet and it's new. And we don't, we, we don't really know. There's no discussion or, or sort of awareness about like what does qualify your helmet to not be effective anymore. Nobody pays right. attention. Yeah. So, so important. Come on. I mean, $500 to get a cheap one, get whatever, you know, chunks yeah. or they're all, something. They're all certified. Pet. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so from your point, and, you know, so from and your, that's the thing ahead, is Benny. with, with even even on the road, motorcycles on the road have a DOT sticker on them. You can get a ticket if you don't have that DOT sticker and your helmet is too old. Five years is considered too old. Wow. And it, it really should be a lot less for the professionals. Like I know there's a professional woman and I, I don't think I've seen her without a helmet on more than once in my life. So the helmet's on all day long, driving from farm to farm to farm. So she's probably wearing her helmet 12 hours a day, if not more. Oh my God. And if you think about it, um, what breaks down a helmet is body oils, sweat, hair products, right? So if you have all these kind of fancy hair products, well, a lot of those break down the styrofoam that's inside the helmet a lot faster. And then in our climate, we live down in Wellington, the heat exacerbates that. And then there's, you know, another little bit to it is where you store it. Here in the summer, it's 100 degrees and it's humid all the time. And so it's easy for things like that to break down, you know, if the if the helmet's stored inside and air conditioning and you don't get, you know, bacteria and things that kind of break it down, the helmet can last longer. But if you wear your helmet 12 hours a day, two years would be the maximum. I wouldn't oh, yeah. I wouldn't even go that I, now with my, right. after my situation, I, I don't, I'm on a year thing after, and, and if I fall, even if I don't really hit my head or if I you know feel like it's compromised, cause you don't even realize the little stuff. I mean, I I'll hit my head like on, on the um, part of the grooming stall or I'll exactly. like, drop my helmet. The horse, the horse like, whacks you upside the head yeah. and you're putting tack on you, you tighten up the girth and he reaches over and he bites your helmet. Those things yeah. are getting knocked around all the time. Sure. Yeah. And that's got to count. You know, in dressage. You have these five-inch, you know, shanks on the little bridle, and one of those hits you, and it's pretty bad. But now you get all these hunter jumpers with all these kind of crazy cowboy bits with, like, you know, 
eight inches of lever action. Imagine one of those kind of whacks you pretty good. Yeah, you're out. <laughs> yeah. They need, yeah, for, so, for sure replacing the helmet has just got to be a, like, I mean, do you think that they're going to be able to, to do that, kind of enforce a, be able to prove the credibility of the helmet or enforce a time frame? Like how, where are we going to, you think we're going to end up with this? I think that with the first two rules, which really are trying to ensure fit and um, catastrophic failure, um, that by establishing the place where we can check helmets, so jog for soundness, you know, podium, um, you know, if, if, if now that we can check these things and a judge can, can stop you in a ring and tell you to fix your helmet. So, and, and that's written in through the USEF, but it's, I don't think anybody's ever done that to anybody before. That was an existing rule. Um, but if we, if we start with getting the helmet fit and being able to get these, these catastrophic failure helmets out of circulation and forcing people to understand that you, you can't just continue to wear a helmet because it looks okay. So if we get through that first educational step, then I think we can really start like getting into, you know, a little bit more detailed and, and kind of, you know, narrow the window of what's acceptable down to at least something palatable. Yeah. The hunter hair, I hate to say it and bring it up again, but it really, uh, like there's no way those things are fitting properly. No, no. like, right. And, and the way that, that we, you know, describe it in, in helmet safety and like motorcycles and cars is that your, your brain has multiple impacts. So the brain first hits the inside of your skull and then, you know, then your head hits, you know, the inside of, of your helmet or kind of reverse, depending on, you know, how you crash. Um, but that that's two impacts. But then if you add in too much hair, then there's a soupiness. In, in that impact of how it actually is able to protect your head. And then, you know, with all that extra hair up there, it, it then won't conform to your head. People have an oval head or they have a round head. So that's why certain helmets will fit you and others won't. Like a lot of people can't wear a GPA um, until they came out with the new oval. And the same thing with um, even Charles Owen came out with a different shape. So we can at least get closer to helmets fitting correctly on somebody's head. So I have one more question for, for our guest here, because I believe strongly in the topic as well. I've been a helmet wearer for years, kind of got brought up that way. Um, do you have a sense of where the helmet manufacturing industry uh, stands on, on these topics? Do you have a, do you have a sense of, how they feel about it, whether or not they would support it politically, because I'm sorry, there's politics involved with rulemaking. It's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you have a sense for that? I believe, I believe they will absolutely be on board with it. I mean, inherently it is going to mean that they're going to make more money, but it means that people are going to be more aware. So the better educated consumer is is going to be better for them. So if we can actually educate people into you can't just wear a brain bucket, 
um, it'll be good for, for all people involved. And kind of the interesting thing that one of the rules that became an offshoot that USEF kind of had to stick in there was that up until now, if somebody had a concussion or a blackout in the ring, it never had to be reported to the USEF. And so now the USEF has now mandated that any loss of consciousness now must be reported. Wow. So they can start actually tracking because they have no idea how many people get knocked off and, and, and have concussions. Now they're going to start tracking that. I mean, that's huge. That is huge. That's huge. Necessary. And so that's, that's the USEF rule that they stuck in there kind of because I opened the door. Like, hey, you should confiscate these helmets. And they're like, oh, <laughs> oh Maddie. report this. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, though, and you have such an interesting, although you're very much involved in our sport, you have an interesting sort of overview outside looking in angle in a way, because you've done all these other sports and it's like totally nuts. It's like we're, we're in the stone ages here with the helmet situation and our, our sport is dangerous, like newsflash. I mean, people are getting knocked out, you know, all over the country at all different events. Like it's for right. real. Well, how, where can people find this, this new rule change and kind of get in, get all the info as it's coming out? Well, what they can do is you could go into my USEF and in there you can, you can go into the rules and proposed rule changes. And you're, once you go in there, you can read um, the way that the, the draft comes out and what's proposed for the rule change. And you can actually go in there and comment on it. And you can actually email me directly because I sponsored that, that rule change. If somebody wants to, they can email me. I've only had um, a couple emails, but they were all fairly positive. Like that's going to be expensive, but I understand why, Mm -hmm. you know, you shouldn't do this. You know, why you shouldn't wear a helmet that you've already crashed in. Well, I'm so grateful that you did light a fire here and, and got it going. It's awesome. It's needed, necessary. And, and for sure, people get, get involved, reach out because our sport does need to progress and go forward. And the safety, I mean, for the kids, of course, but I mean, for the professionals too, I mean, people, you just, you get comfortable with your helmet and you don't change. It's such a problem, but where can people email you if they have something they want to follow up with? Um, they can email me at strong hold farms, plural. So S T R O N G H O L D farms, F A R M S.com. And, um, just, uh, to my attention, you know, I'll, I'll read them all and, and be able to answer questions. Cause I can go into, I could spend hours on breakdown of helmet and safety and, you know, the why behind all of it but that's a little bit too boring for this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're so glad that you did it. You guys reach out, follow up with Maddie because she's, she's a champion. She's riding this thing home. We're going to get this rule change in effect and, and thank God it's, it's just much, much overdue. So thank you so much for calling and checking in Maddie. I really appreciate all this info. This is just super. You're so welcome. And thank you for having me. So hopefully more people will understand and kind of get on board with this. Absolutely. You guys check it out. Well, talk to you soon, Maddie. Thanks again. And now it's time for the S Equestrian Athletic Equestrian Wear Update. And this time, it's compliments of John. So let's get him on. 
We have John from Esequestrian calling in with our update from the athletic clothing line based in the U.S. Welcome to the show, John. Hi, sister. <laughs> Hi, brother. It was so recently <laughs> that I saw you. The truth comes out. We <laughs> the slave siblings. I know You're my monthly uh, proof that I exist. I know. No, yeah. Well, John, he he does he he does all the behind the scenes work. Works very very hard in this company. All of our manufacturing is in the U.S., and that's him turning the gears. So you, for sure, you deserve a big pat on the back, round of applause for that. It's a huge undertaking, and we are a fairly small company. We started without huge investment. We had a dream, a passion to build something made in the U.S., good quality fabrics for not only our equestrians, but for people that want to wear equestrian attire that's more fashionable. You know, equestrian is always in fashion every fall, pretty much everywhere in every magazine. And it always looks crazy. You know, you're like, whoa, like, that's not real. Those knee patches are on the wrong side. <laughs> like whatever it is, you know, <laughs> the boots are not right. It's just, just <laughs> where it's close, but it's not. Nobody ever wears a tie like that. Um, so we, we wanted to be able to offer that as well. And we do, we do get a lot of crossover people buying it, but yeah, John, he's, he's the man behind the scenes here turning the gears. In fact, right now we're talking to him on the road. Tell us about your, your little road trip up to the great, almost North. That's right. I am on my way to North Carolina to do some fabric research. I'm going to, uh, hit a couple of textiles, I guess, retailers slash manufacturers um around the raleigh area um got a list somewhere unfortunately it's not handy but it's um, been really growing know, always, that manufacturing there i've noticed i mean yeah, it was there before and then now there's like a revival yeah i got uh i i heard some tips and i figured um you know the show doesn't start this week until friday this is definitely the time to shoot up here and check it out um so while it's not florida it is still fairly nice out um but uh you know we we as you know most people probably know we tailor all our uh products in manhattan which does not um come without some pretty serious overhead um so we're always looking we want to keep our manufacturing always in the united states it's very important to us to be a made in america company um but if we can find something competitive without losing any of the quality, of course, we're going to look at it. So that's what I'm doing now. Um, and then if we find anything good, the next step is to send Emily up there on a trip. Yeah, right. Because Emily is our fashion designer. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, want, I want screenshots. <laughs> I want photos of your thermometer. I don't believe you. Okay. <laughs> if it's under 80 degrees, I'm not playing. Say. The week forecast. <laughs> exactly. Maybe I can convince you. Maybe. I'll send you up in July. I need my snowsuit. <laughs> I'm scared already. This, the idea of it is scary. But yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that that is the one thing. Okay, we started very very small. It's grown into a fairly decent sized company. We're very fortunate. Our we've got a lot of riders that have loved the products. They're good quality, hard wearing products, and have stayed with us long term. I guess we're. Going into our eighth year, scary. <laughs> it's been a long time. Yeah. Uh, but we, the, the sort of a mission statement and our vision for the company has been the same. Um, but what had, obviously, we need to change a bit with the market and with our, inside our means. And there's things that we're, we're not going to change. We're not going to go manufacture overseas. So a move like this, uh, changing manufacturing out of Manhattan into, we'd looked at California for a while. 
they have some interesting factories over there. And then the Carolinas are, are really building back up their manufacturing communities. So that's, that's going to be a big, a big draw. I think it'll be with, with our companies based yes in New York, but also in Florida. So having that a bit closer, but we're hands on. I mean, we go to the factories, we go to the sewing room, we sit down with our, our design team that helps us put out our, our designs and patterns. And we are extremely hands-on. So for sure, all joking aside, it will be up there meeting if we have a new, a new manufacturer that we go with. But our, if you go on our website, you can check out the products. It's S equestrian S is the letter, the old English word rather S, which uh, means eternal everlasting. It's pronounced E with the accent goose C E. So S equestrian co.com. And you can see the whole line right now, uh, which is our show shirts. We've got technical fabric, machine washable show shirts for men and women, short sleeve, long sleeve, cute liner designs. Um, and we do a, a made to order jacket line and soon to be the britches. Um, <clears throat> so you can get acquainted with the line, but it's, we're, we're very, very dedicated to putting out a quality product. Um, as and far for, as, all, uh, yeah. For everyone who still needs to get some holiday shopping in, we're going to have a promotional code for our Horse Radio Network listeners um, that'll get you 20% off any online sales or any online, sorry, purchases uh, from our website, which will be the letter HRN20 is the code, HRN20, and that'll get you 20% off anything unlimited through Christmas Day. It will not end until midnight uh, the morning after Christmas. Those are fun gifts for sure. Those are great gifts. Can't go wrong. Even people who don't ride, the men's shirts are great for tennis, for casual. I was just thinking that. The men's shirts, what a great gift idea. Because the fellas can be so difficult to shop for anyway. (laughs) But a really beautiful men's dress shirt from that technical fabric would be brilliant. It's like a life hack yeah, they, because uh, they look like a dress shirt, but and they're and they're crisp they, and tailored and looking. But extremely yeah. white, yeah. I they mean, feel like a pajama. Golf, they're great for tennis, <laughs> all of that. Because most, most men's sportswear, frankly, dorky looking. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So you, can, I agree. And and you don't you don't want to go out there looking dorky, even if if the you have a horse husband who wants to go out and be a spectator at the shows. You are an owner of a horse and you want to be at the shows and you want to hang out in the owner's tent. You want to look nice, but you have to have something practical, that technical fabric. It makes sense at a horse show. So what a fabulous Christmas idea. So it's s equestrian co.com. Yep. And at the checkout, you type in H R N 20. Correct. Correct. And we will also have all that information on our uh, show notes page at horseradionetwork.com or at horsesinthemorning.com. So thanks a lot, John, for stopping by and telling us all about it. Thanks for having me, guys. Stay stay warm up there. Talk to you soon. And I'm here. I have questions for you. No. Yay. Yay. I love the Q&As. Those are fun. I'm glad that people posted this time. Yeah. The hard part's keeping track of the posts because they get lost in the page. That's why I was like, you should do it because you have an overview possibly of what's going on. Because I only had like the one post and saw the other one. I'm like, I'll never, I'll never get it all. Uh, now, can, I can, you, can you see the uh, picture I put, I pasted in the show notes? The picture? Oh, I, I just took a screenshot of the questions. Oh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I got them here. Okay. These three questions, right? Yeah. Oh. 
I, I would love you to feed the horses, but that requires stretching and. Oh my God. Of course he can't feed the horses. I gave him hay when I put him in. They'll suffer. <laughs> I threw him in the Oh my God. Say, All up. day. You know, I had to um, put my mom's horse down last week. Oh, I know. That sucks. It, oh, dude. He, was, he wasn't that old, was he? No. And he was like her horse of a lifetime. And, and he's like the safest horse in America. And she was gearing up for her big masters, you know, campaign. And he... He displaced his colon, which he had done once when he was six and had the surgery and his body just kind of like shut down. They did the surgery and he went toxic and foundered. It was like horrible. Um, but he was so, he, he was like the, so useful, you know, like there was no, like, we're just like, I don't even know, like you can't even replace a horse like that. Um, but yeah, no, that was just, that was just awful. So like all my horses are like, so ungrateful, you know, they're like banging on the doors and hurry up with the food. And it's like, you guys, like, seriously, <laughs> like settle down. Like you have it pretty good. You could be cash at the clinic. That's right. Like, we got, I got the most ungrateful horses. I got back from the clinic, even after putting them down, I'm sobbing and the horses are like, you're late asshole. Like, hurry up with the food. <laughs> Freaking horses. <laughs> Uh, All right. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Three, two, one. And now it's my favorite time. Q&A time. Yeah. Every, every month on the, uh, the first Tuesdays of the month when Emily stops by, we post over there on the Horse Radio Network auditors page questions for Emily. And you guys submit them. And then Emily sits here and answers them. And it's great fun. And if you're not an HRN auditor yet, you need to go to horseradionetwork.com and click on the banner that says become an auditor. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can help support Horse Radio Network programming and get the opportunity to ask Emily questions on the Facebook page. Yeah, this is my favorite thing. I love it. I love, this is like my, my day job anyways. Like all we do is like, why is this happening? Like, what could we do different about this? But I, I love it because you get kind of a little window into what other people, which are people listening to the show, what they're dealing with, with their horses or just horse management, you know, uh, sure. just, just all of it doesn't necessarily have to be jumping, but no, I love it. So let's get going. There we go. So first one, this one's from Jeff, Jessica. Favorite gymnastic exercises to try if you are limited on the number of jumps you have. Say only like four jump standards. <laughs> she doesn't want to come clean, but she's sort of suggesting. <laughs> it's a very small number. Um, hey, story of my life for sure. Uh, you absolutely can get it done. I would say my favorite favorite are uh, the trodden exercises. Just a one stride. You could build, say, a put a pole if you have a pole. Um, to spare, uh, that does not need to be in your jump sequence. You can put a pole down or even like a landscaping rail or, you know, flower box or whatever, something there. You can do a nine foot walking, uh, to a cross rail, which is going to be two standards. But if you can omit those standards and maybe put in, um, trash cans, barrels, blocks, chairs, whatever you can rest the rails on because that jump can be very small. It's just sort of like a extra, maybe double the size of a Cavaletti or so doesn't need to be big at all. And then you can do a little one stride. So if you just have two standards left, then you can build a vertical or you can have the oxer if you have four or same thing, you can take the barrels or, or something else to be able to lean, or you can get away by building your gymnastic on the side of the ring. If you have a railing, um, oh, that's a good you, idea. Yeah. Use that, budget use that to, to make your cross rail. Something yep. that um, 
we used to use a lot back in the day for tiny jumps. Hello, don't forget hay and straw bales. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Or even, yeah, as a jump. As a jump. Or to hold rails up. They work both ways. Hold rails. Very smart. If I remember right, I think Jessica might be from the South where hay is crazy, stupid, expensive. And one of the things I tried was um, a bale of pine straw. Ooh, smart. A lot less expensive, and my horses aren't going to eat it. (laughs) (laughs) Added incentive uh, to keep going through the gymnastic. I don't have to keep going through just gymnastic that way, and they won't eat the gymnastic. So great idea to just set up the simple ground pole, ground pole, cross rail or hay bale or yeah on if you go to craigslist you can frequently find really inexpensive the various sizes of blue plastic drums that's what i have i love those i know they're not classy but i love them and like we're in wellington and every time i build i'm like we need to get more of these in my (laughs) in my dreams i want like 12 barrels in the ring i'm gonna use them for standards and and your your neighbors keep going geez why do you keep girls in there yeah oh i know they're probably like, the, we're beyond help over at my place, um, but effective. There the horses go. are jumping super. There you go. And thank you very much, Jessica, for that one. Um, this one is from Tara. I'm trying to go from showing the 2-6 limit to the 3-foot adult hunters. What's the secret for moving up? Mm, that is a hard one. You think, okay, it's not a huge swing, but that really is one of those, one of those lines. Jump, isn't it? it is a big jump. It really is. It's a big jump um, for the footage on the lines and the oxer. I would say, to be honest, in any move up, whether it be jumpers, hunters, um, green horse, whatever your sort of next step is, it is going to come down to your basics. It's not elusive. It's about rhythm and balance uh from there your distances will come and go they'll be short medium long but as long as you have a proper footage your course is built off of a 12 foot canter stride so if you can get comfortable with you which you can do with even pole work what exactly is your 12 foot canter then from there you should be able to cruise around the problems arise when we start going too fast or too slow i.e bigger canter smaller canter footage wise and then the distances get funky and then they you get too long to the out of the oxer or, you know, even if you have a difficult distance, but your footage on your canner is correct and your rhythm is consistent, you'll be surprised. And the balance, of course, you know, you don't want your horse plowing down on the forehand. You, you'd be surprised how, how much easier things get by just focusing on those basics. So you have to have the adjustability. Yep. You have to have the consistency so you can consistently get that 12 foot. Yep. So, and they go hand in hand. You're not going to have one without the other. Exactly. If you can't be consistent, you can't be adjustable. If you can't be adjustable, you can't be consistent. So yeah. Those two things have to be well in hand before you move up because if the if and this works, I think, regardless of what discipline you have with a horse, if the basics aren't really good, when you move up is when it shows. That's when it shows, exactly. And they're more like symptoms. So it's not necessarily learning the three foot jumps, it's learning the in between part. And mm-hmm. the bigger jumps, like you're saying, expose that and you say, oh, okay, like I, I, you, you can practice it with Cavaletti though, getting the adjustability and rideability in your canner to hold that 12 foot canner and feel that you're moving positively forward with the rhythm rather than pulling and waiting. You, uh, people, I think get very preoccupied with the distance choice yeah. and that fretting happens back in the corner and then you just totally mess up your rhythm and your canter footage. You don't realize it because you're like hunting, hunting for that distance. Where is it? Where is it? It's like, it doesn't matter. Like drop it. 
Like it's about <laughs> the rhythm and the footage of your canner. And then, you know what they, yeah, you can pick a distance and, and it, the least dramatic decision, maybe it's a little short, maybe it's a flat miss, you know, whatever. But as long as you arrive at your flat miss with a proper canner, you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think people get sidetracked with this elusive. They want to gallop up to the perfect distance and you know, it's, it's, it's the cart before the horse a little bit. Yeah. You got to have the perfect gallop before you can get the perfect. Exactly. And then they come to you. Yeah, exactly. On that note, I want to put this out there before we do our next question. I tried a new exercise with Nuji Nigel this past week. Oh, nice. And backstory, Nuji Nigel came to me with good basics, but some real um, emotional issues when it comes yeah. to jumps. He, he just wants to rush at them madly and then he either flies over them in a heap or he stops dead. One of the two. No, he gets scared. Both. Yes. He gets scared. And Emily has helped (laughs) me a lot with various and some suggestions. And I've been following those suggestions. And each time I get to do the show with Emily, I get some more. So I tried this this past week and I found it very, very useful. As soon as he sees the jumps move in the arena, he knows we're going to have another jump school. So he gets into his face, his uh, emotional state. Uh, so he, he's rushy. He wants to be rushy. And if I, when I struggle to bring him back and keep him balanced, what we end up with is in a little bit of a tug of war and he gets behind the bit and we just plow through things and it's not pretty at all. <laughs> he's like, I told you. Yes. I told you it was going to be bad. I told you. That's exactly what he said. You were there, weren't you? <laughs> I know. I got a few of those too. You got to do this. So what the I emotional did, fretters getting the ahead emotional of themselves. Fretter. So I set up on the two long sides of my arena. Um, a set of trot poles on one side and a set of walk poles on the other side and walk through the poles, continue straight for three, 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 three or four strides, pick up trot, uh, cross the short side, trot down the trot poles and then immediately out of the trot poles, come back to a walk. And the first time, of course he dove his nose into his chest and massively rushed through the trot poles. But, and then we can, come back to a walk on the straight, continue wa- continue walking through the short side, pick up the trot on the straight. So I continued that. The second time he went through, he says, like, oh, she's going to make me walk as soon as I'm done with these trot poles, so I may as well get ready for it now. And I can see a little <laughs> light bulb come on in his head. He's a smart boy. Yeah, he's like, oh, she's going to tell me, because he loves to walk. He thinks that's oh, yeah. great. Oh, she's going to tell me to walk. And by the time I went through the exercise the third time, he was absolutely balanced on loose oh. rain through the trot poles. He went, dang. Oh, that makes you feel good. Yeah. And what I did is as I went through and I kept changing directions. So we had it both ways. I kept shortening the number of strides. I went straight um, into and out of the walk poles. So we would walk out of them and I would pick up a trot after two steps instead of four. And -hmm. I would continue trotting until two steps before the walk poles. So he had he had to stay balanced through those transitions, walk trot to walk trot, because the walk poles were in his way. They were right there. That's really smart for sure. And you can take that same thing then to like little jumps, do uh, the canner, or or even you know they can walk over a little cavaletti too to understand like it's not a speed game, yes. and or even the canner to the trot. Totally. That's if uh, once you get his brain thinking that way, because a lot of those rushers they're overachievers and they and they want to do a good job. But when they make the mistake, then they think too fast and far ahead, and then they jumble it all up. And they, we do the same thing. Yeah. Like the question that we have um, from Tara about the moving up. I mean, that's essentially what we do as riders. We're like, okay, you're like, we got to get out there, and we got to do this, and we got to do that. And it's like, <laughs> no, 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 no. You just need to do the stride that you're in. 
Yes. And make sure it's 12 feet long. There you go. You don't need to change anything, dear. It's just fine. Exactly. But we all, yeah, we're, we're like Nigel. We are, I feel like Nigel on course sometimes I'm like (laughs) charging down to the jumps. Like it's a triple. I'm going to start running because my horse is green. It's just like settle down lady. Like how did you get get inside my head, Emily? How did you do that? (laughs) That's me. man. I'm a charger. Like I, if I get nervous or jumpy, I mean, I, you're like, I didn't even know that horse could go that fast. Like, what is she doing? There you go. This this next one is, um, oh, this one, this was a question I had, and I see it a lot, and it was inspired by Precious Magic Gallop Jennings, Jamie's Pony. Oh. And what do you do with a horse that when they land, they want to dive their head down between their knees and have themselves a little crow hop, or they just dive their head in between their knees and just get all forehandy and rammy and off into the sunset? The self-appreciation moment. Yes, that's it. (laughs) That, that's a hard one that not, not it's, it's hard because it's, um, it's not a jumping. It's hard it, because it, it's hard to stay on. <laughs> it's hard to stay on firstly, for sure. I think that's for sure the hardest thing because you have a really super jump. It feels good. Your horse feels good. You feel good. I know as a rider, I definitely have that self-appreciation moment on the landing, which is like what I, I've been coaching myself like 24 seven right now. Cause I'm doing my big move up into the meter forties on my green horse that jumps like outrageous, like, like so hard, like, well, bam, like you're like, I thought I was sitting up and now my face is in the main and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm jumping into a combination. Like even, I know this is not to the position to be in. Um, but that's, you know, that, and he doesn't do that on the backside, thank God, but, but still the same thing. There's really, the balance is so, so important. So I would say, and that's, and that's again, the hard things because you don't want to, uh, correct the jump because the jump itself was good. And you rode, you felt, you felt good. Maybe your position felt good. Everything was good over the jump. And then the horse gets excited or like, I have one that doesn't even get excited. She's sort of like, Oh, thank God it's over. And then she roots and bears down. And then I got a hundred pounds in each hand, you know, coming mm-hmm. through the corner and like, who, you know, anybody's guess if I could get to the next jump. Um, but those are in a way they're, it's a hard thing to feel and to experience. It's kind of an easy ish fix because you have to stop the conversation with your hand and the horse's mouth, because then that becomes an argument and a fight and a struggle a little bit. You also do need to correct the balance of the horse. And once the balance is corrected, then they won't be pulling so hard anyways. So it's just real simple, just putting more little jumps, little poles in front of them. So if you have, oh, like, so yes. you, you have that lovely, uh, three foot ox or that you're pretty sure they like to dive and land and put their head between their knees and say, yippee skippy. Mm-hmm. You put a cross rail three strides later. Exactly. Ah. Depending on the level of your horse. Cause you want it, you want to be smarter, not stronger. Whenever you're getting in a tug of war and it's becoming physically challenging and there's frustration, it's wrong. You want it to be there. There are not, I'm not going to say quick fixes. They're not gimmicks, but they're they're there. It's a, it's a different way of explanation for your horse to correct the balance because of all of a sudden their balance shifts. And it may be as simple as they just really are one of those, their neck is put on a little low, the shoulder may be a little low and they just lean forward. Like it may be a physical thing and you don't want to turn a great experience of a good positive jump into a, you know, attack on the mouth. Right. of trying to correct that balance. And then they're like, Oh, you know, like now that's all we're talking about and, you know, bad face. And now I'm pulling harder. Um, and they may not 
understand how to correct it so easily because they may be green. So you want to get out of the mouth. And yeah, you depending on their experience level, you can do, say, your little trot and gymnastic. You could do walk at any variety number of strides to another Cavaletti. You could do a bending. I like the bending uh, to Cavaletti. Sometimes I'll set my gymnastic, my little trot exercise like we discussed in the middle of the arena on the, the center line. And then you can either bend to the left or to the right, like, you know, four strides or five strides or, you know, nothing crazy so that they can have something to look at. You can also do a landing rail. You could do a nine foot placing rail that could also be another one stride or something to a Cavaletti. Um, it kind of depends on your horse's comfort level. There's always then the end jump when you say come through a bending, if you do the bending line exercise, and then you could hit a little end Cavaletti, but put, just putting more things in front of them that correct the balance. If you can get the trot transition, excuse me, that's a really good way because that will sit them generally back, which is hard for them because they're already going forward. But that's the name of the game is to put more in front of them. I also find with those, depending on exactly why they're doing it, but it's very effective to gently start asking for a bend in the direction that you're going. You can just kind of bend the body so that they stop stretching out so hard rather Mm -hmm. than really attacking the mouth and picking the head up and all of this. You can ask for something positive, which is a bend, which should stop the crow hopping anyways. Mm -hmm. But it's really just putting more stuff in front of them so that they can look at. And thinking forward, because when you're putting something in front of them, you get them thinking forward. You get them thinking about going to going forward, going, oh, look at this. I have to look up and, and na- navigate. Cool. Well, exactly. And, and it kind of corrects the issue as it presents itself in each way because you kind of, it, it comes out in a horse that's not moving forward. And it also comes out in a horse that's moving too far forward. That's like charging through the corner on its forehand. Yeah, and yeah it cr- you're right. It does do, you're right. Both yeah, types do it. Both right. types. And then it'll correct both. And then you don't have to get any time you can help with the exercises, I think. Explain to your horse what you want to do and less confrontation from the rider. It's better for the relationship. <laughs> yes, we do relationship <laughs> advice here on the <laughs> yeah. jumping episode. That's how I feel. I feel like I've got like eight marriages. There you go. I'm like, all right, <laughs> what do you need? That's right. You like rubber bits. God forbid we pull out the metal snapple. Oh. That's right. Nope. Happy horse makes happy home. There you go. All right. This last one is from Patty. Uh, tips on learning to be soft with your hands and reins management. Oh, when I, back in the day when I used to teach riding lessons, such a struggle for some human beings to keep the reins the right length, to shorten them when they should, lengthen them when they should, not fuss with them. Any pointers on that one? Oh, yeah. It's so hard and so important. And then when you get it, you're like, this is, you know, it's like a breakthrough when you, when you get it and you can't go back. I think for starters, okay, rain length is so important. Um, I, for, I do it for myself, to be honest, like I'll even tie a knot in each rain to just be like, okay, Emily, like that's where your hands go. Like, cause mm-hmm. I'm guilty of opening my fingers. I think that I'm being soft when in reality, an open fingered hand is not soft it's because it's goes from nothing to taking to nothing to taking. And that's harsh. It's oh, actually softer. Yeah. Yeah. In the mouth, they're like, woo, like, and now it's back. And then when you drop the bit, you think I'm being soft, but it bounces around in there. It's, you know, whether you have a single joint or, or whatever you have. So it actually has less stability, even though you think you're being soft. Really, the softest hand is a closed finger hand, and you get that softness through your elbow. And that's Watch where you're able. Yeah, I know. And that's when the, when the hands are moving, that's the joint that is locked, blocked rather is that elbow. And how we do that is with a flat hand. 
we all get puppy dog hands and we want to be real soft and using our fingers and all of this. And you stop your effectiveness and actually your softness. It becomes a, a, a hot and cold, uh, rough ride, to be honest, in the mouth. So the bet, the first thing for sure, rain length, put some tape on there, tie a knot, whatever you need to do. Boom. That's the, the length of the reins. And then you can kind of coach yourself as you're getting out of whack. And then from there, you really, it's not enough, I think, to say that you have to have a straight line from the horse's mouth to the elbow and all this, because like you can do that too with a flat hand. You really do need to have the thumb up because that allows your elbow to work properly and absorb the shock. Yep. And then you can use your bicep and your back, uh, sort of like around your shoulder blades, um, for me, I'm, I'm, that's my, I'm my constant thing trying to correct my hand. My hands get too low and they'll get flat and then I'll open my fingers too on the soft horses. So I actually will use like a driving rein and thread it all the way through my hand, like, a, you know, a closed fist, mm-hmm. um, or that you can do it the other way. Like you can do it as if normal, you know, that you can't tell from far away that the reins are not through your pinky. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. or you can actually do it the other way so that your thumbs are pointed towards the horse's mouth, mm-hmm. which is more of like a training, I think like at home, like really kind of bring the point home. Um, but that pretty much corrects my hand, anybody's hand that I work with that way. And it's, the, you've just got to keep those fingers closed. We all want to open our fingers. It's just not the way. And when you open the fingers, you lose the elbow and, the, and your back, yeah. your strength. And then they feel that, you know, we think, Oh, you know, we're being soft riding on my fingers and we're not really, um, it's a much softer ride to be more consistent and elastic. One of the exercises that I, I did in a clinic a long time ago when I first got taught this um, we did that thing where, where a person holds the bridle on their head and they put their thumbs through the bit so that their oh, yeah. fingers are the reins. And then you put a blindfold on that person. And then the person behind them holds the reins and has to basically steer and stuff to really drive home what it feels like. Because it's like, well, okay, you have the reins, hold them this way for a while. And then you get to experience what the horse does. And you hold it in different ways. And that really brought it home. One of the things, I did two things. First, I rode my horse for a long time in a halter so that I could learn to get the weight into my elbow. And she was very forgiving of my mistakes. Yeah. Because it was kind of connected to the nose, babe. We weren't going anywhere. And the other thing I did is I switched the type of rain I had and I got super duper fat reins. And that made a really big difference during that learning curve Mm. because the tactile feel was unique because what the reins felt like in my hands was memorized. It's what I did. It was automatic. Unconscious competence. So I didn't even realize I was doing it wrong because I didn't even notice anymore. Yeah, that's so, true. So by changing those reins out, I got big fat um, rubber reins like you would use on a racehorse. Yeah. Very foreign. So I was very conscious of what I felt in my hands. And that helped me to break that loop. It was it was a little bit like learning a whole new skill. You always hear hear instructors talk about riders that are a clean slate that know nothing are usually easier than riders who you're trying to fix because you have mm-hmm. to fix old stuff. And that helped me get outside of the loop. So if if part of your problem with your rain management is that tactile feel, try borrowing a set of reins that are completely unfamiliar to you. And put them in your hands. If you normally wear gloves, take them off. 
That's a good idea. Yeah, for sure. And then do some really, really simple flat work exercises that you can do without even thinking twice and your horse can do without thinking twice so that you have a lot of mental time to focus on what you're feeling on your fingers, not so much what you're doing with them, but what you feel. And that can maybe start you down that road and then get the rest of the picture, get the fingers to stay closed, get the elbow to be soft and Ta-da! you're off to the races so that you can I did um yeah I know it's so hard though it's like the you know we all say it but getting it done I'm always looking down I'm like you're doing it again you oh, I'm a, I'm a hand, down so. oh my gosh oh, that's yeah. terrible. of course who doesn't want to look down that's where all the action He's is so cute I want to I look down at him I know <laughs> I uh for the big horse that I've been jumping he he's so big he's like 18 hands he's enormous and his legs are, his legs are taller than me like his wow. it's nuts he, he's a super freak um, that's what I'm going to do in the meter forties, but he's very light bone. Like he's really light and electric, like shutterfly. Um, but I have also, he's very sensitive and in my turning, if I try to turn with one hand, like my inside hand, I'll lose him through the outside and we do like a crab walk and then my distance Oops. is like disappeared, you know, and I'm like, awesome. Well, here we are at the triple. So <laughs> cluck, cluck. Um, but I've been doing a little bit of a bridge, but like a wide bridge. Mm-hmm. So it's not but it just sort of keeps me focused on keeping my hands together, together, working together as one unit, not so much yeah. one, you know, or the other. And that's helped me because I think because it's unfamiliar for me to have that bridge. I don't I didn't grow up like on thoroughbreds. I didn't, I didn't really do that, but somebody gave me that trick a, a couple of years ago. I've really been using it and it feels strange. And I really keep my hands together and my thumbs up, which then fixes my elbows. So oh, it's sort yeah. of, whole thing there but it's so important once you get it I think you know you're kind of like okay I feel it I get it and it makes sense but it's I don't know I mean you're never really done learning and and growing like there's always a next next level but uh but I do I I think I think hopefully I've got my fingers closed at this stage (laughs) consistent (laughs) I think I just I'm hoping I've got the heels down and the fingers closed before Thursday um I'm praying uh well I'm the my face in the main again. There you go. Well, we we will be looking forward to your visit next month. Yeah, on, can't wait. Back. On the first Tuesday, and we will hear about your adventures with the big fancy horse. That'll give me enough time to put in a good round. I've got a month. There we go. This week is a wash. There you go. Which will be my fault. That's it. Well, thank you everybody for all of your questions. We will be yeah, doing it guys. again next month. And uh, to find the links to today's guests as well as the other show notes, you can go to horsesinthemorning.com. And you can follow us on Facebook if you don't already. Search horse radio, Horses in the Morning and click the like button. And if you're one of those people who likes to be concise in your social media, follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is Horse Radio. And make sure you have all of the shows with you wherever you go by downloading our free Horse Radio Network app for your iPhone or your Android. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. It's quick, it's free, and it's easy. And if you've already done so, find your friends at, at the barn who are less than tech savvy and show them how to download it. They will thank you later. <laughs> and you could listen to this show live on your computer. Go to horse radio net or horses in the morning.com. You can click the listen to live button. And thank you very much to S equestrian for supporting this show. And thank you very much to Emily for being my wonderful co-host. Oh, I know girl time again. We have to do it again soon. Woo-hoo. I learned so Although much when I do this show. I learned so much. I'm so glad that makes me so happy that you use those exercises, uh, Mr. Nigel. I do. They really and they help. helped a lot. That's yeah. so cool. That's yeah. so cool. He's a cute little guy. We'll we'll keep it up. We want updates on him too. 
There we go. Well, we'll see you again. Uh, We will be back. What's today? Today's Tuesday. We will be back again tomorrow on Wednesday with more cool stuff. And I believe we have a health segment coming up. So uh, we'll see you again. See you soon, guys.